Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California, now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert. More snow and more rain on the way in this winter and spring for the history books. The American Southwest has not seen anything like this for a very long time. With the California mountains and the Mojave and the Great Basin and the Sonoran getting a lot more winter action than has been seen in 40 years. Which is two generations if you're keeping biblical time or biological time. It's funny to see the dried-up old desert with waist-high wildflowers and exotic weeds everywhere, so green and beautiful. And every dip or depression has its own little pond now with the coyote and bobcat tracks and the mud around the edge. Bees buzzing around the desert daffodils starting to open up where it's warmest and sunniest. Still cold at night, cold enough that my doves came back a little too early. They've been spending the night sleeping over the porch light where the bulbs make it warmer if not otherwise very conducive to sleep. It's one of those old lantern-looking fixtures like you'd see in a 1970s Mexican restaurant or in a dungeon where they torture people. It's made out of black cast iron with black metal chains with these amber glass chimney tops. And the doves just plant themselves on top and it's warmer. Soon they'll be raising one baby after another until August or September or so. And other than the evil ravens and the swooping red-tailed hawks and the kestrels and the snakes below and the fox always ready for an egg to roll out of the poorly constructed nest, it's a safe haven. The ski resorts will be open well into the summertime in the upper elevations up in the High Sierra where the snow is currently 60 feet deep. There's even water in the Mojave River visible on the surface and Barstow. Not much, but it's something. It's a record season all the way around. And at such times, we look around the southwest and notice all those playas, those alkaline dry lakes with a sheen of fresh water. And somewhere in our and 
ancestral psychic memory of the species, we remember that this used to be a land of lakes. Not so very long ago. age came to a close some 12,000 years ago. Immense freshwater lakes covered much of what we now call California and Nevada. What a paradise it must have been with people living in pleasant little villages on the shorelines, lots of big game for food and fur and leather. Everybody zipping around in tule boats made of our famous marshy bulrushes. This was true from the Great Salt Lake to the middle of Nevada to the long valleys on either side of the Great Mountain Ranges. A couple of thousand years after that, some 8,200 years ago, the American Southwest had an especially long rainy season. 150 years long, in fact. It was the result of a couple of monster glaciers in Greenland rapidly melting into the Atlantic, which changed things around so much that the Pacific lashed the coasts of the Americas with biblical rain and flooding for a century and a half. Maybe that's what's happening now in one way or another. That would be exciting. A century and a half of constant rain. It would be like living in Seattle. But even as those enormous desert lakes receded with the slow drying out of the West, Lake Manly and Death Valley and all that, Large navigable lakes survived all the way until the late 1800s out here. Owens Lake was so wide and so deep that there was daily steamboat service for freight and passengers. And then there was the greatest lake of Gold Rush, California, Tulare Lake. The biggest freshwater lake on this side of the country at the time, between 600 and 700 square miles in all. But it was a shallow lake, no more than 40 feet deep and usually less, especially the marshy edges of thick vegetation and little islands and an Eden of nature. Pronghorn antelope, mule deer, fish and turtles by the hundreds of thousands, bobcat and cougar, 
And of course, the tule elk. A lot of mosquitoes, too. But let's ignore that part when romanticizing our paradise lost. Lost for a while, anyway. Because despite our worst efforts to dam and drain the great freshwater lake, it comes back whenever conditions warrant. I remember miles and miles of water visible from Highway 99 driving up from Bakersfield in that historic winter and spring snowmelt of 1983. And again in the late 1990s, 1997, that great El Nino year that sheared the piers off their beach town anchors. The Sierra snow melts of 1938 and 1955 prompted more busy beaver dam building. But dams are temporary things, as the beavers understand better than we do. Tulare Lake is back for the time being, and because industrial agriculture has filled it with farms and factories and houses and strip malls and etc., there are people suffering at the moment. We've got 39 million of them in California today, although about a half million are leaving every year for all the obvious reasons. And some of those 39 million people live in places where the weather sometimes gets right up in your face. Like my neighbors in the San Bernardino Mountains who live in places with names like Snow Summit, but who are not ready to believe the heavy winters can come back without much warning. Even the I-5 through the city of Los Angeles has repeatedly been shut down this winter and early spring due to flooding. And the Grapevine Hill has closed so many times due to snow and ice this year that you think people would just quit using it, but they can't. Especially the truck drivers who have to sit there breathing diesel fumes at the roadblock for days at a time because they've got a tractor trailer full of sex toys and diet supplements that simply must be delivered eventually to the people of our era. I saw something the other day, a little video from Los Angeles, and the person who made it was so delighted that I could not really feel uncharitable about it. The person was dumbfounded because after months of heavy rains in the L.A. basin, a local park had a little stream of water running through the muddy lawn. I guess the person had not considered that water, when it collects somewhere, will figure out a way to drain. Well, there's no better way to learn anything than to experience it in person. We often think of the Mississippi River when we think about the steam-powered paddle boats. That's where they seem to belong and where you can still board one today. Grand old steamboats with names like the 
Delta Queen or the Confederate General or the Casino Queen where you nurse your watered-down whiskey and Coke, but steamboats were just the motorboats of the Victorian age. They worked the freshwater lakes of California, too. Mark Twain, another character often considered to be a creature of the Mississippi River, spent the formative years of his career in the deserts, mountains, and boomtowns of Nevada and California. Washoe, that's what he called Nevada because that's what it was called then. He had a lot of enjoyable adventures out here, such as failing to make a dime as a miner. And it was that time he started a terrible forest fire on the shore of Mono Lake. And he also wrote of Tulare Lake, although the only part I've found is a comic sketch about an old captain who dies and goes to heaven and is relieved to find that he got into Paiute Indian heaven instead of the stuffy Christian version. Although it's kind of like the... It's a small world ride at Disneyland with different cultures and languages and peoples and religions. I think they all have their their own cloud, the different groups. Here's a little sample. I hopped onto the carpet and held my breath and shut my eyes and wished I was in the booking office of my own section. The very next instant, a voice I knew sung out in a business kind of way. A harp and a hymn book, pair of wings and a halo, size 13. For Captain Eli Stormfield of San Francisco, make him out a clean bill of health and let him in. I opened my eyes and sure enough it was a Paiute Indian I used to know in Tulare County. A mighty good fellow. I remembered being at his funeral, which consisted of him being burnt and the other Indians gaming their faces with his ashes and howling like wildcats. He was powerful glad to see me, and you may make up your mind I was just as glad to see him and felt that I was in the right kind of a heaven at last. Steamboats plied the waters of those vanishing lakes, especially over the Sierra on Owens Lake. What is generally called Owens Dry Lake these days, although not at this exact moment. This here is a story told by Ned B. Smith, who was the foreman of the steamboat Nancy Brady in the 1870s. 
making regular trips between the Owens Valley ports of Swansea, the one in Owens Valley, not in Wales, and Cartago, not the ancient Phoenician city or the modern city in Costa Rica, but the one in the desert. And Cottonwood, which is just another place called Cottonwood. Here's how Ned told the story in an issue of Desert Magazine from some 60 years ago. We had started in from Swansea on a windy afternoon, skirting along the north end of the lake to head of the lake, then fuming south along the west side of Owens Lake. When the boat Bucked like a bronco as the wind hit it broadside. We thought the wagons and trailers on the boat were secure, but the pitching was so violent one of the trailers slid over the side. Landing in the water with its tail end sticking in the mud and its tongue protruding above the water's surface. It was impossible to salvage the trailer wagon on that trip, even though it contained a load of bullion that had been sent from the Swansea smelter to be loaded on the wagons at Cartago. The next morning, we came back from our run taking provisions and freight that had come in on other wagons at Cartago, and from there we went to Cottonwood Creek and ahead of the lake, As we passed, we could see where we thought we had lost our trailer wagon. It was not impossible to pull the trailer back onto the steamboat. But all of the bullion had slipped back into the lake and the water was about 12 feet deep. There was no way to retrieve the bullion from those salty waters. Ever since, people have hunted for this treasure. Tales are told of a shipwreck, but... They are untrue. Well, nothing was ever found. Until the early 1930s, when a Paiute woman found one of the ingots of bullion in the dry lake bed. The ingot was displayed in the Dow Hotel in Lone Pine for several months, says the magazine. In the years since, the legend of the lost treasure of Owens Lake has grown and mutated and drawn various seekers to the toxic dust of the dry lake bed. The story of a boatload of lost silver is usually exaggerated to an entire lost steamboat. The Los Angeles Times looked into the legend back in 1988 and came up with nothing but tall tales and conflicting rumors. What's true is that the silver mine of Owens Valley played a large role in the building of the city to its south. This is from that article by Dana Parsons. The first significant silver deposits are traced to roughly 1865, and the main mining outpost became known as Cerro Gordo, or Fat Hill in Spanish. To reflect the fatness of the silver deposits, 
a rip-roaring mining town, Cerro Gordo was ruled by the six-gun. The editor of a local newspaper described Cerro Gordo as a shooting gallery where pistols continue to crack and good men go down before them. that newspaper story go? Uh, No one cared about that in Los Angeles. The Los Angeles News editorialized What Los Angeles is, is mainly due to Cerro Gordo. It is the silver cord that binds our present existence. Should it be uncomfortably severed, we would inevitably collapse. figured out some other industries over in Los Angeles. Silver screens and sheet metal bomber planes and whatever else they make in Los Angeles today. Expensive real estate and broken dreams, I suppose. Industries of the City of Courts. In 
And if it doesn't work out, you can always pack up the Tesla and see what you can try to get away with out in the desert. Isaacs and across the great Mojave wilderness and beyond, you have been listening to Desert Oracle Radio with some real nice soundscapes tonight by our friend Red Blue Black Silver. And I am your host, Ken Lane. Thanks for your patience. If you're a subscriber to Desert Oracle, the mythological periodical all about the desert southwest, I'm about to close off the new subscriptions because it's time to turn over the list to the printing company so they can mail them once they come off the press. Hallelujah for that. And then we'll figure out what to do for the coming issues. So, uh, last chance, I guess, to subscribe to issues 10 through Lucky 13, which may or may not be the last issue. Hopefully not. I've been trying for five years to get a business partner for this operation or sell the magazine and attach myself to it as some kind of indentured servant. Earned. Well, I've had a lot of conversations, uh, a lot of email under the bridge. If you've been following the Wonder Valley corporate resort story, you will be interested in last night's decision by the San Bernardino County Planning Commission. Well, they said nope. So Sandals Wonder Valley, or whatever it's called, will not be starting construction anytime soon. Hopefully we will survive with the hundred or so swimming pool resorts just down the hill in Palm Springs and Desert Hot Springs and other such places with springs in the name hinting at a water supply. We broadcast on Friday nights at 10 p.m. on KCDZ 107.7 FM in the Mojave High Desert and on various other community stations from King County, Washington to Bozeman, Montana to Moab, Utah. Or you can get our podcast on your phone if you can get a signal out here. But radio is more reliable. Thanks for listening, friends, and good night from the voice of the desert.